So every single week, we gather together in this space, and in particular, during this season, we gather to prepare for Christ's coming, right? Well, I just want to tell y'all that in the week or even weeks leading up to any given Sunday, there are a lot of other people who've been doing a lot of preparing so that when we come together during this time of worship, it will be a meaningful experience. I mean, for example, the skit that we saw this morning that introduced the scripture for us, we had Frank, who's our praise band director, and his wife, Stacy, and our cellist, Maggie, along with Gus, developing that script. Literally, it began months ago. Jonathan put together all the slides. Yesterday, um, David and Sophie and Megan and, and Frank spent a couple hours rehearsing that skit. Um, of course, we have Diane, who was our illustrious Angela, Angelica. Um, you know, and in the midst of that, too, we had um, this, all the music that wrapped around it, that Mad World, um, O Come Emmanuel mashup is something that Nina conceived of and developed. Um, we always have the people from our worship design team who are always putting such deep thought and creativity into what shows up on our table in any given season to help us focus more on the theme. I wanna tell you a little bit about what's on our table during this season. Um, we have our beautiful traditional Advent wreath that's hanging over there by the Chrismon tree. That is a beautiful um, Advent wreath that was built actually by one of our members, Clyde Briley, decades ago, Margaret's late husband. And it has become a deeply uh, meaningful part of our Advent every single year. And then this year, on our table, we have an alternative Advent wreath that we're developing, and it has a variety of different types of lights that are meant to remind us, as during this Advent season, our theme is waiting in darkness, we're exploring all the ways we experience darkness, well, we're also exploring the many ways that God shines light into our lives. And so last week, we lighted that antique oil lamp with the reflector on it to remind us that God sometimes shines light across the centuries throughout history to illumine even our present day today, um, in this case with the words of Isaiah. And then today we lighted that table lamp, that beautiful table lamp, meant to illustrate for us that sometimes God shines just enough light so that we can see what is right before us. I'll let you wonder about the disco ball for a little while longer. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> but there are so many ways that we prepare and many ways that we experience darkness. One of the ways that we experience darkness is that sometimes something entirely outside of our control casts dark shadows across our vision of our future or our lives. Let's hear the scripture today. This is from Matthew's Gospel. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph. Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, 
for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. I don't know if you noticed in the scripture, if you picked up on this, but Joseph was a planner. He liked to be prepared. It says in the scripture, just when he had resolved to do this, Webster's Dictionary says that resolved means to decide firmly on a course of action. This is what Joseph had done. He'd made a plan. You know, they say if you really want to make God laugh, just make a plan. Well, Joseph resolved to do a lot of things. He resolved to marry Mary, for example. They'd been engaged to be married, Scripture says, and that meant in their day that an actual contract had been entered into. This was a legally binding agreement. Sometimes these agreements were entered into when the two parties were very young, sometimes arranged by parents. So from a legal standpoint, they were husband and wife, even though there had been no actual marriage ceremony yet or wedding, and they continued to live separately. This was a done deal. And like any good planner, I bet Joseph had a very clear vision of how life would unfold. In the year between the engagement and the wedding celebration, lots of plans would be made. This celebration would be at least a week long. I mean, just planning the meals for that would be extraordinary. And then Joseph would make plans to bring Mary as his own back to their home, a home that he would provide for them, to begin their life together. A life that would include work, it would include homemaking, it would include religious practice. Children, for sure, I bet he could hear them giggling in his mind as they chased one another across the front yard, and I bet he could smell the dinner that his beautiful wife was preparing for him, and that he could see her smiling as she set the table and hummed some familiar tune. The whole thing must have been so clear, a brilliant future. It was beautiful. Joseph had resolved. Well, then Mary was found to be with child. Scripture doesn't say exactly how Joseph came by this information, but suddenly a very long shadow darkened this brilliant, beautiful future. Mary was pregnant, and he definitely was not the father, so the only rational conclusion was that she'd been with another man. Which, even in those days, even though there was not actually a wedding yet, that would have been considered adultery. And just like that, this light that filled his future went out. He couldn't see a thing. I resolved to do something once. Actually, I resolve to do things all the time. God's frequently amused. Um, just a few years ago, it was about this time of year, I decided firmly on a course of action. 
Now, I want to offer a disclaimer before I tell this story because you need to know that the only similarity between my story and Joseph's is that there was an interruption to my plan that was totally outside of my control. And, um, but it wasn't something that would cast a shadow over my entire future. In fact, this would only darken a single day that was admittedly quite self-indulgent. But it was glorious. I was going to get up early in the morning on a Friday, which is one of my days off. I was going to get up before anyone else. I was going to pray before the lights of our beautiful and sweet Christmas tree. And then about 6.30 in the morning, I'd take Michaela to the bus stop in my jammies. I'd come back, go for a run while listening to that new agey music that my husband can't stand. Zay would get picked up to go to school. And when I got back from my run, I'd take a hot shower all of this in preparation for, wait for it, a 90-minute massage. <laughs> it was glorious. After the massage, I planned to be as useless as possible for the rest of the day. If I got the least bit energetic, I might get in a little bit of hammock time. Now, this plan hinged on my ability to get all of the rest of my work done in advance of that. You know, I had to get my sermon written, had to plan worship, but it wasn't going to be a problem. This was Monday. I had tons of time. I could see it so clearly. I had resolved. Well, Tuesday morning, about 5.30 in the morning, my husband woke me up. He said, Tracy, I've been up since 3.30 this morning in pain. I'm going to have to go to the emergency room. It was a kidney stone. All right, I'll get the girls to school. You text me and tell me what they say. We had walked in this particular shadow many times before. My husband has a history with kidney stones, so we knew how to navigate. Well, the pain went away before he even got to the ER, so he came back home and he went to bed. Whew. Disaster averted, I thought, until the pain kicked in again later that day, and I drove him to the doctor. Surprisingly, that didn't take very long. They were able to give him a prescription for some pain medication and another drug that was going to help him pass the stone easier. I still had all afternoon to work. I did get some sermon writing done. Plan was still a go. Wednesday went as planned. Thursday, not so much. Around lunchtime, James was in pain again, and it didn't take very long before he was doubled over with it and very nauseous. So back to the ER we went. As shadows began to dance along the edges of my plan, and began to darken my vision, I began to get a sneaking suspicion that Friday might not be so glorious. And it was all about me, right? <laughs> well, we were at the hospital all day. Uh, turns out that the stone was much too large for James to pass on his own, so they wanted to do a procedure that would help him pass it more easily. That was scheduled for the next day. He had to be there by noon on Friday. And just like that, the light that shone so brightly on my Friday went out. Meanwhile, Joseph, he needed a new plan, and quick. Mary had been found to be with child, and however he had come by that information, it wasn't going to be very long before everyone would know, and the stakes were very high. Joseph was a righteous man, 
the gospel says this and emphasizes it because what that meant is that Joseph followed the law faithfully. It was very important to him because it was thought that the law was the revealed will of God. So the law of Moses, that would have called for Mary being stoned to death. Luckily, rabbinic practice had mitigated this by the time Joseph was experiencing this, so death was no longer the penalty, but the penalty was still quite severe and humiliating. Joseph didn't want to expose Mary to that, so trying to find his way in the dark, I imagine Joseph Joseph stumbled around in the shadows um, that had been cast on his vision. He bumped into, I bet, his customs, tripped over his traditions, probably hit his head more than once on the Jewish law until he resolved, based on his own moral code and the feelings that I imagine he had for Mary, Joseph resolved that the thing to do would be to divorce Mary quietly so that she wasn't disgraced. Because there was a legal agreement, because they were legally committed to one another, it would take a legal act to dissolve this agreement. But Joseph didn't want to make a big stink of it. He wanted to be discreet. Even though he might not be able to reclaim this bright future that he had envisioned, maybe with a little bit of damage control, the future didn't need to be so dim. So that's what he resolved to do. Well, I definitely needed a new plan. Much like Joseph, I had wandered around in the dark for a bit. In my case, I was bumping into and tripping over my own (laughs) self-absorption, knocked my head several times into a wall thick with self-pity. But I was desperately trying to reclaim some part of that glorious vision I'd had until I resolved that what I would do on Friday is I'd still get up and I would pray. I'd still take Michaela to school in my jammies, still go for a run. The massage was off the table. That had been canceled. Well, as I was running that Friday morning, I noticed this shadow that I was casting. The sun was rising behind me, and there was this long shadow before me. And as I looked at it, it dawned on me. You are casting that shadow, Tracy. You're the one who's blocking the light. You and your self-pity and your self-centeredness and, and in your fear and anxiety about what James was having to go through. I did think about him some. <laughs> You're standing in the way of the light that might otherwise, however limited it may be, illumine the way. You need to get out of the way, Tracy. Shift yourself. Maybe turn toward instead of away from the light. Even if the light's dim or its scope is limited, focus on what's within its reach. Focus on what you can see. Joseph had to get out of the way. He had to focus on what light there was. The light cast by the angel who visited him and said, don't be afraid to take Mary for your wife. In the light cast by that angel, he could see, at the very least, how Mary had come to be with child and who this child would grow to be. 
beyond that, he was called to trust. Trust God, even in the shadows that lurked beyond his vision. Trust God to unfold a vision of the future that would deliver salvation. During Advent, which as I mentioned last week, in our hemisphere occurs during the darkest time of the year. This is the time of year when the nights grow longer and the darkness grows deeper. We wait and we anticipate the coming of a great light, Jesus Christ. And oftentimes, as that light just begins to dawn, it is almost imperceptible. But I wonder if this dim light invites us during a time when it feels nearly impossible because of the chaotic and frenetic pace of Christmas, maybe this light invites us to slow down. To slow down so that you don't break your neck tripping over all the plans you've made. Slow down enough so you don't hit your head against some fixed expectation of how you should experience this season or what you should do, how you should celebrate it. What if we surrender to the interruptions that cast shadows on our brilliant plans and focus on what light God shines, however dimly, into our lives? As we explore the many ways that God sheds light into the darkness that we experience, it seems like there are times when God sheds just enough light for us to see the immediate future, just enough light to maybe take that next step. What if this Advent, as we wait for and anticipate the coming of the great light, Christ, we're more intentional and attentive to what's right before us? After I went on my run that Friday, I went back to the house and I sat and prayed for just a little bit more. I really needed to reflect on what it meant for me to get out of the way. I realized that for that day, in the dim light that was provided, I would need to pay close attention. And I would need to be prepared to respond generously to whatever it revealed. Maybe if I could do that, I thought, this day could still be glorious. James, in his need for medical attention, was clear. I could see that. I could see that this day was definitely not about me. As we stepped into the hospital and went up to the registration desk, a member of the church where I served at the time came. She volunteered there. She and I had the opportunity to chat for a little bit, and then we were led into the office so James could, could finish up his paperwork. While we were sitting there, I got a call from the church office. Another member of our church had been admitted to that hospital and needed a pastor. I was there, so while James finished up the paperwork, I went upstairs. I spent some time with her and her son and her granddaughter. They had some difficult news to digest and some hard decisions to make. They were navigating shadows of their own that day. When I got back downstairs, James was in the waiting area. I went to sit with him, and another church member appeared. Her daughter had just given birth to a beautiful baby girl, so I had the opportunity to go and visit and pray with them. 
In the meantime, James was called back for his surgery. They were going to prep him. I was trying to find him, wandering around the hospital, when I ran into, you guessed it, another fourth member of the church who I discovered that day worked at that hospital. They were showing me how to get to where James was, and she said to me, she stopped and said, you know, Pastor Tracy, I've really been wanting to talk to you. I've been struggling with work and with my job, and I had just gotten off the phone with a really difficult patient, and I had prayed, God, help me. And then I stepped out into the hall, and there you were. That cannot be a coincidence. So we stopped there in the hallway. We talked about what was going on with her. We prayed together. She needed to see more clearly as she navigated shadows. When I found James, all was going according to plan there. Thank the good Lord Jesus. I kissed him, and they took him back. You know, our lives are not always brightly lit. Unexpected things happen that interrupt our plans, that cast shadows on what moments before we could see so clearly. And I'm not suggesting that we not make plans, but I am suggesting that in all things, at all times, we are called to be attentive to God's vision and the light cast by Christ. And sometimes we have to get out of the way. And always we should turn toward the light so that we don't block what might otherwise be revealed. We make a lot of plans, especially during the Christmas season, and there will be interruptions. It is inevitable. But I wonder what would happen if we were to surrender to those interruptions and focus our attention on what God reveals. Joseph turned toward the light that God cast for him through the angel. Joseph trusted that beyond that light, God was with him, present. And he made way for the advent of the light of the world. Sometimes we see what God desires best by a dim light because our vision is focused, as it always really should be, on Emmanuel, God with us. This God who is with us always, even in the shadows. And Emmanuel, God with us, is the one in whom we see the longest vision of our most glorious future. Amen.